This is an ABC podcast. Urgent talks between the Territory and federal governments take place in Canberra today to discuss the alcohol abuse and juvenile crime plaguing the town of Alice Springs. Government coming over the top and continuing to oppress people and tell them what is good for them does not work. And we meet two men who are travelling around Australia looking for missing people. It's a great relief. I can't even start to comprehend what these poor people have gone through. It's just nice for me to know that they don't have to drive past a body of water or they don't have to drive around wondering anymore. Sounds like the stuff of crime shows, but these two specialise in solving cold case disappearances and they've already had success. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajak Country. Alice Springs remains in the spotlight after parts of a government report looking at alcohol abuse and juvenile crime in the town became public today. We heard on Australia Why that the Territory's most senior bureaucrat, Darrell Anderson, was tasked by the Prime Minister to gather information from vested interests about how to tackle the problems plaguing the town. Eight days later, some of her recommendations have come to light. This afternoon, the Prime Minister confirmed on Twitter that the whole report won't be released until next week. Lee Robinson is on the ground in Alice Springs. Now, Lee, some of this report looks at the issue of alcohol abuse in Alice Springs and in Central Australia. The NT government allowed booze bans to lapse last year, which many were very critical of. What do we know so far about the report's recommendations on what were blanket alcohol restrictions? Yes, well, we're yet to see a full copy of this report. And as you mentioned before, it is yet to be made public. So we don't know exactly when we will see more of it. But RM Breakfast this morning has reported that parts of this SNAP review has recommended further change beyond what uh, are already new alcohol restrictions in town. So in Alice Springs at the moment, we have bottle shops that are shut on Mondays and Tuesdays as designated dry days, as well as uh, limited uh, trading hours uh, for other days for bottle shops shops. So now what we've seen uh, from parts of this report is that uh, it's advising that the stronger futures bans be reimposed in uh, town camps and communities until alcohol management management plans are developed so that would allow their, those communities to opt out, uh, which is uh, instead of the current play, uh, system in place, which has an opt-in system that hasn't been widely taken up. Now, we do know that the Northern Territory government have headed to Canberra today, and let's hear some of what came out of that. We are here today to talk about this with the Prime Minister. Absolutely, alcohol is an issue that we need to continue to do more work in. But we need Commonwealth investment as well in key areas to empower First Nations people, to empower that leadership, to empower our community to have a greater say over their affairs. Government coming over the top and continuing to oppress people and tell them what is good for them does not work. Northern Territory Attorney General Chansey Paik speaking a little earlier today in Canberra. Now, would that sentiment, Lee, be backed up by people locally that the federal government needs to pour more money into Central Australia to alleviate some of the problems being experienced? Would you hear that locally? 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is a, a long. Uh, uh, this has been long called for by the the Northern Territory government that uh, you know what they call as needs based funding. That uh, there has to be uh, you know more funding for things like the justice system and and remote. That's not just based on population, but the actual needs. Because what they argue is service delivery just costs more in regional places. You can imagine all the the extra travelling and and the extra salary that you need to pay people, as well as uh, you know. Uh, you know, the cost of living here is just more. So why should it be determined by population? Uh, there is, however, you know, criticism that that money that has been, uh, you know, allocated in the past to go towards improving the lives of First Nation people from the feds has been misspent by the territory government uh, and, uh, you know, usually just to secure votes. And so I guess there are questions around, uh, you know, what kind of oversights are in place and whether that money, when it's handed over, is being spent in the right places. Now, you said earlier, Lee, that emergency measures were put in place in Alice Springs after the Prime Minister's visit, and you kind of outlined some of those restrictions. Good for people to know what it actually means in Alice Springs. So you can't buy alcohol on Monday and Tuesdays and also bottle shops are restricted on the days that you can buy alcohol between the hours of three and seven. I know it's only a short week. Well, it must feel like a very short week because it's been very busy. But have you seen any effects of that? Yes, well, it's still certainly early days, uh, but it does appear that there has been uh, some reduction in the kinds of alcohol fueled crime uh, since these restrictions came into effect earlier this week. Now, uh, from speaking to police, they say that they responded to zero alcohol-related incidents overnight on Monday and Tuesdays. The, uh, Monday and Tuesday, which are those two days that take away alcohol sales, are now banned in Alice Springs. And they also said they saw they saw a sharp drop in domestic violence violence incidents, uh, responding to fewer than 10 call-outs each night. And, and that's a stark contrast to the trends that we've seen uh, in the past, just after these blanket alcohol bans were scrapped last July, where police could be responding to up to 40 incidents per night. Lee Robinson and Alice Springs, thanks very much for talking to Australia Wide. Thanks, Sinead. You're listening to Australia Wide. On ABC Radio. And you're with me, Sinead Mangan. A national inquiry into missing and murdered First Nations women and children is underway. More than 40 submissions have been made from legal and domestic violence services, human rights groups, police and academics from around the world. Amelia Searson has this story from South Headland in Western Australia. And I must say, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised that this story contains content that may be distressing. If you don't find your loved ones that's gone missing, there's no closure. Known as Mrs Eaton for cultural reasons, the Nyamal Elder in Western Australia's Pilbara region knows families who've had relatives vanish with little or no explanation. Her own grandson is currently listed as a missing person. For most people, the idea of a loved one disappearing or being murdered is beyond comprehension. But that feeling of loss is all too familiar for many First Nations communities. It's a big issue in the community, especially for the ones that uh, suffer the parents and family of the missing persons. A landmark Senate inquiry has received 41 submissions, with many calling for urgent action to combat the disproportionately high rates of violence against Indigenous women and children. 
A Four Corners investigation found at least 315 Indigenous women have disappeared, been murdered or killed under suspicious circumstances since 2000. I'm talking about a national silence when it comes to the murders of First Nations women. Meanwhile, First Nations children make up less than 6% of the country's underage population, yet they represent about 20% of missing children. Submissions to the National Inquiry detail the many reasons why rates of violence against Indigenous women and children are so high, including the fear of not being taken seriously when reporting violence to authorities. A submission made by the North Queensland Women's Legal Service details harrowing stories of ongoing abuse against Indigenous women and children. One client was subjected to emotional, physical and sexual abuse throughout her relationship with a much older non-Indigenous man, which started when she was 15. The legal service says when she called for help, her partner convinced attending officers that she was the perpetrator and they ended up charging her for assault. The service says this isn't an isolated incident. Mrs Eaton says solutions can only be found through working closely with Indigenous women and elders. Our ancestors fought and now we are still, nobody's going to knock us down. We want more help. Help us so we can live in harmony with black, white, whoever lives in this uh, Australia we call a home. Philip Kastner is a senior law lecturer at the University of Western Australia who made a joint submission with a researcher from Canada. He says it's imperative that action is taken, guided by Indigenous voices. The danger is, of course, that we create another sort of top-down commission with another top-down report. So the danger is that this will be perceived as just another report and there is no action. Despite the complexity of the issue, Dr Kastner says there's no excuse for inaction. With the Senate inquiry in Australia, I do hope that we will tackle much more seriously this issue in the, in the future, that there will be ways to actually achieve justice and we will put in place stronger mechanisms to prevent this violence. Senator Paul Scar, who's chairing the inquiry's committee, says the group is preparing for the next public hearings. He says they're set to be held across the country in communities where Indigenous women and children have been lost. We're looking to actually go out and meet with people who've been impacted. We're very mindful of the fact that many of the family members and friends would have gone through deep trauma. So we've taken a lot of time to make appropriate preparations and consider our approach. For Mrs Eaton, the process needs to bring answers to First Nations families who've lost their loved ones in such tragic ways. Parents never stop looking for their kids and hurt and cry. We're still healing, but we should have come together and be a nation. Don't care who you are. White, black, brindle, pink, we all got that healing to happen. Amelia Searson with that story from South Headland in Western Australia. This is ABC Australia Wide. Schools across the country started up this week and many are preparing for the year ahead. But teachers in WA's north are facing a very different kind of challenge. Most people are driving to work or even catching a bus or train. But for remote school teachers working in the Kimberley, their journey to school involves a helicopter. The recent major flood event in the region has caused extensive damage to key infrastructure and many roads have been cut off indefinitely, leaving education staff with no other option but to fly. Tallulah Bindry has this story. A group of dedicated school teachers have taken to the air to begin their school year in WA's north. 
Major transport routes through the Kimberley were cut off after record-breaking wet weather. The Fitzroy Crossing Bridge collapsed under the pressure and many homes were inundated with flood water. Communities have done what they can to recover in past weeks, but with the school year approaching, the only option was to fly in. And the Australian Defence Force stepped in to carry the group of remote school teachers to their respective schools. Bayaloo Remote Community School is one of the schools impacted by the flood. Vice-Principal Brooke Adam says the journey hasn't been easy. The biggest challenge so far is that we haven't been able to get into Fitzroy and to our houses and into school as well. Of The road between Broome and Fitzroy has been closed. So the other day we got brought in by the Royal Australian Air Force. It's been tricky getting to Bayloo because all our houses are in Fitzroy Crossing and Bayloo is about 20 kilometres across the river and the river bridge is obviously destroyed. In the meantime, the staff have had to find alternative ways to get to school. Our principal, he organised a helicopter with DFES and they got about 12 of us all over to school this morning, which was pretty exciting for everyone. And we are getting helicopters every day to school. However, this hasn't dampened their spirits. The group are excited to get back into the swing of things. It's definitely increased our workload at the start of the year, but we're just hoping that we can get here every day and that the kids can get here every day so we're able to teach them. There's still more rain coming and things like that, so we just really want to be here. We're very lucky we've got really good teachers and really good AIOs, that everything is starting back to normal. and We know they've had a tough time the last couple of weeks, so just really excited to be able to help them and support them with whatever they need. Many moving parts have been involved in getting the teachers back to school. Education Minister Tony Butti says all hands were on deck. The logistics behind this exercise have been enormous. We've had to engage private aircraft, the Australian Defence Force and helicopters. It's been also very difficult because we're not only trying to bring back teachers to the area, we're also trying to bring back their uh, possessions and pets. The community has been through some serious challenges this wet season and residents are still working through feelings of shock and distress. But Mr Butti says teachers are ready to help. It's going to be a tough challenge in the first few weeks and, and beyond in regards to teachers having to deal with all the issues that have been faced by the community, which has been enormous. So the teachers are being prepared for that and also we are utilising our school psychologists to be on hand and will be providing what support needs to be provided to the staff and also to the students and their families. And now efforts are underway to get things back to normal. We'll be working hard to try and ensure the homes are repaired and become livable again or otherwise find alternative accommodation. But we will do what is needed to ensure that teachers can do what they do best and that is teach our precious students in the Kimberley. Tallulah Boundary reporting there from Broome in Western Australia. ABC Australia Wide. I think it's wonderful. I think everyone should come and see it. On ABC Radio. Right now, there are two YouTubers travelling around Australia looking for missing people. It might sound a bit weird, but these two specialise in solving cold case disappearances. They go looking for people's remains years after authorities have had to give up searching. And it's working. Earlier this month, they found the body of a man who's been missing for more than six years. Our Tassie reporter, April McLennan, caught up with these guys on one of their searches to see what it's all about. I'm just with Bill and we're walking down the main street of Sheffield. Bill, what's this town kind of known for? 
murals. The whole town is covered in it. All these murals on every corner, on every brick building, and then it has a mural park. But it also has a dedication to a missing person, which is Nicola Solis. And and this is, you know, it, it, it says on it, Dad came to Australia from Italy as a young man, aged around 21. He was a real giver who loved his family and always tended to think of others before himself. And that's, you know, that's what it's all about. We're, we're trying to bring Nicola home because he always thought about others and uh, we don't want to have him be forgotten. I met with Bill McIntosh at the Sheffield Bowls Club in northern Tassie. And for a local girl like myself, it's a pretty hot day. So I can't help but smirk when I see Bill in his beanie and puffer jacket. He's from West Kingston, Rhode Island in the US. Standing next to Bill is Down Under Dan from the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. He's wearing shorts, a tee and a very worn Akubra hat. So I met Bill when I spent a month with Adventures with Purvis in the United States. They are a search and recovery team. Over the last two years, they have found 27 people um, and returned them home to their loved ones. The pair have temporarily joined forces to try and find missing people around Australia. Can you talk me through what's going on over here? <laughs> There's a lot going on over here. So um, this is Dan's setup. We, we have kayaks, uh, refrigerator for food. Dan has power to this system so he can power up all batteries, uh, has the ability to run showers in here so that he can stay out in the field for up to four weeks and be self-sufficient. He can live like an animal. Well, it's funny <laughs> you say he can live like an animal because this is a horse float, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> my, my wife actually brought this for me for my birthday. Um, one of the struggles I always had if I was just to put in the stuff in the car, I'd always leave something at home. So she brought me this horse float for me to put all my gear in. And just to describe what's going on here, so we've got a horse float attached to a vehicle. There's kayaks on the roof hanging off the side. Inside the horse float is a bunch of search equipment as well as a kettle, some chicken salt by the looks of it, <laughs> shower out the back. And on the back of the horse float, still a sticker that says caution horses. But right next to that is a poster of Nicholas Elise. A missing poster. And Nicola Solis is, is suffering from early onset dementia. His kids were taking away the car because he had had two accidents and they were selling his house. And so he had lived there for 27 years with his kids and his wife. And so it was a tough time for him. Nicola was last seen in 2008, driving his car down a road in Sheffield. A coroner has declared that Nicola is dead, but neither his car nor his body have ever been found. But Bill and Dan are now on a mission to help find him, and they've agreed to let me join them on their search for the day. So we're at the Kentish Park boat ramp. What are you guys doing at the moment? So we're setting up the transducers um, and the sonar on the boat and the electric motor so that Dan can go out and sonar this boat ramp, that boat ramp over there, and that boat ramp here. This is, there's three boat ramps that are accessible. They've chosen to search this body of water because it's only about 10 or so minutes from Nicola's house and they need to make sure he's not here. So the different types of sonar that we've got here. So the top screen is what you would call side scan. So it's what you go over and it looks out 30 metres that way, 30 metres that way. The down scan is exactly what's below us. Can you talk me through what he's actually doing at the moment? So what Dan is doing is... He's doing a full loop around to one boat ramp to the other, making sure that nothing could float out. And the organization that I'm with, Adventures with Purpose, has seen everything from finding a person uh, on the edge of a river on a dangerous corner to right behind their house in a, in a body of water 
to under a piling, to under a dock, to at a dam where trees are jammed against it, where you can't find it, to docks like this where trees are jammed against the car and, and it's hidden. After paddling around the boat ramps, Dan returns to the shoreline. Unfortunately, Nicola isn't here. The boys have cleared this area, so it's time to move on to the next location. Bill and Dan are looking for other people too. And a couple of weeks ago, they found one. A man who'd been missing just north of Hobart for more than six years. They discovered Dale Nicholson's body in a car in the River Derwent. What was that moment like for you when you did find Dale? Uh, It was a little surreal. You look in, you see human remains and it's... Okay, well that's the need to get the number played off. We need to uh, contact police. So it's very a focused kind of thing. So it's not till later where you really sit back and and contemplate what you've you've seen. And how does it feel for you being able to bring someone's loved one home? It's a great relief. I can't even start to comprehend what these poor people have gone through. It's just nice for me to know that they don't have to drive past a body of water, or they don't have to drive around wondering anymore. Certainly is surreal. That story from April McLennan, and she brought that story to us from Tasmania. To finish up, we're going to head to Bremer Canyon near Albany on the south coast of Western Australia. It's a special season there at the moment because it's the time of year the orcas, which we often refer to as killer whales, swim through the canyon. Our reporter, Brianna Fiore, braved the ocean and a bit of mild seasickness to find out more about an orca research project that's underway. There's upwards of 90 different species of cetacean, so that includes whales and dolphins. Oh, got one out the back. <laughs> um, I saw a black fin there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you've got your baleen whales and then your toothed whales, uh, and orca are a species of toothed whale. That's Jenna Tucker. She's a marine biologist. Orcas and killer whales are the same thing, right? They are, yeah. So um, orca comes from the scientific name, but uh, killer whale is sort of the common name and they're actually not a whale. They're more closely related to, well, they're a toothed whale, so a dolphin. We're on a boat in the Bremer Canyon. It's in the Southern Ocean and it's taken us about an hour and a half to get here. During the summer, orca pods swim through the area. Um, just a bit on the research that you, that goes on out here. So what um, what research is happening? Uh, so we collect uh, a lot of observational data on, uh, say, the location and behaviour of the different whales that we are seeing out here. Um, we're also doing photo ID study as well. So um, to ID an animal, we're looking at its dorsal fin. They have unique sort of notches and markings on their dorsal fin. Um, And we're just sort of trying to piece together uh, the different family structures, the different pods um, that we do see regularly out here. How many in a pod usually? Uh, Anywhere from sort of five up to, we have some quite big pods out here, up to 12, 15 whales. So a scuba diver told me that if there's orcas around, it's less likely that there's going to be sharks. Is there any truth in that area? Is there any truth behind that? Uh, So we, I mean, yeah, if I was a shark, I wouldn't be hanging around too closely um, around an orca that is feeding. This is Kane Watson. He knows a lot about killer whales. And what's your job on the deck? Uh, pretty well looking after the passengers. 
um, as well as spotting the whales and telling a few facts about them. That's a fun job. Goes all right, beats working. <laughs> but yeah, they spend about 80% of their time hunting, so it's mainly what we uh, see them doing. So once they've had a good feed, usually they get pretty playful. And what do they eat? Uh, so mainly at the moment they're eating beaks whales. Um, so we get a few different types out here. Um, but yeah, they're pretty well mainly eating them. Every now and again they might get a giant squid if they manage to steal one off a sperm whale. And do you have any idea how much they weigh? Uh, I believe it's about five tonnes. You get a, not, you get a decent sized killer whale at about five tonnes. Yeah. I hope they don't jump on the boat. Hopefully not, it hasn't happened before. But Anything that we can do um, just as a society to make sure we look after our oceans. Cleaning up after yourself, keep our oceans healthy. And um, yeah, all, we, all that we do out here, as well as taking a run out for a great time and experience, we do do a lot of research as well. So all the contribution helps and yeah, helps us better understand these animals and how we can help them better. Brianna Fiore reporting from Bremer Canyon on the south, co- south coast of Western Australia near Albany. It's great to have your company tonight on Australia Wide. Remember, you can listen to the podcast whenever you want to. Just go to the ABC Listen app and you find us there. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you're having a lovely evening. I'll speak to you again tomorrow. Cheerio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.